Good morning. It's really good to see you this morning. Um, in this series, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the themes from the movies this summer and pulling out the themes and comparing and contrasting those themes with the Bible and with the Scripture. And I, I'd especially like to make a disclaimer on this, this, this movie, <laughs> by the way. I don't recommend it. I'm not telling you to go see it. We're not looking at the movies. We're, we're uncovering the theme from the movies and then comparing and contrasting them. But the movie Ted was supposed to come out uh, this weekend, I believe, but it, uh, it actually uh, was moved up to a couple weeks ago. So Hollywood's not cooperating with our message series. I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate that. But <laughs> I can't believe they aren't paying attention to what's going on here. Uh, but anyway, it was moved up, and uh, here's a picture of, of John Bennett, the main character, and Ted. And I haven't seen this movie. Like I said, I wouldn't recommend seeing it. Um, but I, I read some articles, got some ideas off, off the Internet on what it's all about. And I read one particular article. It was in the, uh, the L.A. Times a couple weeks ago, and it was this is the title of the article. article. Grow Up? Ha! <laughs> that was it. That's the title. That's 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 a summary of this this movie. If you if you turn to the inside of the uh, article, it says immaturity is all the rage. And it it tells us I'm going to just tell you some things I got out of the article. I got from the article. Ted is a story of a 35 year old guy who is still such a child that his closest friend, in fact, his only friend is a boorish trash-talking teddy bear named Ted. Ted is projected to make $200 million in the U.S. alone right now. Gathered that. And the article goes on to say, in recent years, the best-loved character in American comedy has been the man-child. The hero of a wide variety of comedy hits, uh, old-school Wedding Crashers, Knocked Up, 40-year-old Virgin, Dodgeball, Step Brothers, uh, role model, Shaun of the Dead, J- 21 Jump Strength. I got that from the article. I don't. These aren't on the tip of my tongue. I just want to clarify. <laughs> um, but here's the question the article asks. Why do these films resonate so deeply with our culture? Why is that? What's going on? And the writer answers it. If I were a sociologist, I'd probably point to the finger for the popularity of arrested male adolescents at the usual villains. Helicopter parenting, the rise of feminism, video games, and a cruddy economy that is a larger percentage of 25 to 34-year-old males living with their parents than ever before. Um, that's the trend. This is what's going on. Movies tend to reflect the trends in the culture. My, myself, I went into adulthood kicking and screaming. All right, I was, I was the baby in our family. When I was 17, I went to Baylor University to play baseball, and um, I was miserable. I, you know, I was in Baylor. My, my brother-in-law was stationed in, at Fort Hood, Texas at the time, so I would drive there on weekends. I think I only didn't drive there on one weekend when my sister sort of barred the, the windows and doors and everything and said, you need to stay, stay there and try to connect with what's going on. But I would sit there and um, I would sit, my brother-in-law says, you'd sit on the, the, the 
not the mantle, but the uh, the hearth of the of the fireplace like this all weekend, just you know, bombed, and I'd be moping. And I've often wondered what he thought. Here he is; he's a tank commander training men my age to go to war, and he's got this brother-in-law <laughs> that's like hanging around like a little baby boy. You know, he gave me a nickname, Dillard, and I had earned that nickname by being a Dillard. I guess that's. What happened? It shifted to Randino later, and I knew I had graduated. <laughs> now it's Randino, so it's more dignified, you know. Um, but anyway, I went in kick, kicking and screaming, but the any, any interesting thing about me is my gestation period was much shorter because I, I struggled with it. I, I wanted to go back and be a little boy, but it, it didn't take me as long as it tends to take today. For me to grow up and that's no credit of mine that's because the culture I was in is very different than the culture today I would have never considered you know delaying things as long as they they get delayed now because it's just expected you knew what's expected culture in a good culture good things happen so it's very important to pay attention to what's going on the writer of this article chalks up the trend in the movies as the focus of modern comedy and points out that audience have embraced this theme. In this message, I'd like to think this over. I'd like to step back and think about this. Is it just a fun twist for a plot? Or should we beware of what's going on? Should we really pay attention to this trend and beware of what's, what's happening in it? The movies produced reflect the trends and flow of our culture. And they push us in a direction that the writer and director want us to go. So we need to step back and figure out what's what's going on. We've asked uh, Dr. Nathan Lewis to give us some perspective by way of video, and he's here. <laughs> uh, he's part of the congregation, but he's professor of psychology uh, at California Baptist University, and he has done a lot of research in this area. And so I wanted, I asked him first of all to. Uh, Give us some perspective. Paint the picture of the epidemic that's out there that these movies represent. So we're going to listen to him. There's been a radical shift over the last 40 years in America in how we understand development that has led to the delaying of maturity and adulthood that is now known by various names like extended adolescence, arrested development, failure to launch, emerging adult. Uh, several recent movies like Failure to Launch in 2006 and TV shows like Arrested Development have capitalized on this theme. Most of them comedies because of how easy it is to mock and laugh at the absurdity of grown men or women acting like adolescents. In previous uh, generations, before the 1960s, it was always understood that a child begins the process of moving fairly quickly into adulthood around the age of 14, and society had in place very clear rites of passage into adulthood. Before then, there was no such thing as a prolonged transitional period between childhood and adulthood that we now call adolescence. In fact, we literally invented it. Today, 
due to the combined effect of numerous cultural changes related to the invention of adolescence, the majority of individuals don't consider themselves adults until well into their 20s, usually after college. I've been asking my students for over 20 years now how how many of them consider themselves to be adults. And I've never had in any given class more than two students say, yes, they consider themselves adults. And why should they? After all, they're constantly being referred to as college kids. Typically, they've never had to take full responsibility for their own lives. They've been told repeatedly that they must finish college before they can even begin to think about living on their own. And they've been led to believe that getting married and starting a family must be delayed until they are well established in a career. So this new developmental model with a prolonged period between childhood and adulthood has become institutionalized and is now seen as both normative and necessary. Psychologists, educators, politicians, and parents all believe that there is simply no other alternative, which is pretty amazing given the fact that it's, it's less than 50 years old, it only exists in Western culture, and it changed thousands of years of how we previously viewed development. And, and now, some developmental psychologists have supposedly identified yet another transitional period between adolescence and adulthood that they call adult adolescence, extending adolescence to as late as 35 years old. Think about that. That's 21 years beyond the previous understanding of when adulthood begins. So there's some uh, information, some backdrop information. Um, I've put some bullet points in the listening guide if you'd like to follow along. When We're going to go back and forth to his interview. Um, but they're there, some highlights of what he just said. This movie, Ted, has a very imaginative plot. Uh, it's really interesting. So in this article that I was telling you about, uh, there's some lines from the movie that are interesting. In the movie, the hero's girlfriend delivers an ultimatum. It's me or the teddy bear. Hey, I think that's funny. I mean, is that funny? It's me or the teddy bear? Come on. The guy's got a teddy bear. She later says, I need a man, not a little boy with a teddy bear. This is so true. We need men. We need good men. We need men who will work to understand who God made us to be. And then take steps to bear the weight of responsibility and love the way he's assigned us to do. That's what, that's what we need. We need men. We need more of them. We need good ones. They're setting their heart on doing what God wants. We have to guard ourselves from embracing things that look cute and cuddly. This is a very imaginative plot. It's very, it's, it, it looks fun. When, you know, the picture I showed earlier, it really looks fun. But some things that are cute and cuddly really pack a punch, a great deal of devastation. I understand koala bears, very cute and cuddly. But they are vicious. You try to cuddle up to a koala bear, your face is probably going to get rearranged. So we've got we've to watch this. It's the same way with notions and ideas that we pick up from culture, from, that we pick up from movies, 
TV, the books that we read. Talented writers and directors and actors, they know how to play our heartstrings like a violin. They can pull us in the direction that they want us to go. And so we have to pull back from that and evaluate their validity so that we're not cuddling up to things that are going to just tear us apart and wreck a lot of damage in our lives. So let's listen in as Nathan lays out the damaging effects of this epidemic as he sees it of delayed adolescence. The effects of this shift in how we view development and maturity have been very negative and far-reaching, impacting just about every area of our society, and much has been written about those effects. But perhaps the greatest impact has been in how Americans parent. In short, we no longer raise adults. We raise adolescents and leave it up to them to figure out when they're adults. We raise kids to be entitled consumers of society rather than responsible contributors to it. We push them to achieve in school, believing it is their ticket to a career that will lead to success, but give little, if any, attention along the way to the development of their character. We discourage them from getting married and starting a family because we're either afraid it will interfere with our career aspirations for them or we want them to be further ahead than we were when we got married. And the results of all of this are not good as demonstrated by numerous studies in recent years. According to one study, there was a 30% increase in narcissism among college students between 1982 and 2006. It's discussed in the book Generation Me, subtitle Why Today's Young Americans Are Confident, Assertive, Entitled, and More Miserable Than Ever Before. I, I've seen this in my students. Increasingly more are entitled, inconsiderate, lazy, unmotivated, immature, unable to think beyond what they're told to think, irresponsible, demanding, disrespectful, and the list goes on. And many of them don't even know that they are this way. And actually, I don't fully blame them. They've been raised this way. And they live in a society that has created a youth culture dominated by video games, skateboards, and whatever is cool. And it encourages them to stay in that culture as long as possible. Another consequence of this delayed maturity has been a much greater financial burden on parents in two ways. Parents bearing the rising inordinate cost of college education that most adult children contribute very little to and parents continuing to assume financial responsibility after their adult child has graduated from college. In 2010, 85% of all college graduates moved back home. And long-term studies show that they are home for an average of five years to 
an average cost to parents of $38,000 beyond college tuition. The typical college graduate is highly educated, beginning a career, but with little or no real world experience. They're unmarried, heavily in debt, making it nearly impossible for them to live on their own. Another consequence of extended adolescence that I've been describing is increased sexual activity among unmarried teens and young adults. While we have, in effect, retarded emotional, psychological, spiritual, and social maturity, we can't arrest sexual development, which is biologically determined. And we've delayed marriage and told young people either don't have sex for 15 years, even though their bodies want them to, or since they're going to have sex anyway, just make sure it's safe. And the youth culture that they're immersed in is heavily sexualized, making either of those options very difficult. According to one recent study, the typical college female loses her virginity within the first three months of her freshman year. Interestingly, about the same age as women in past generations were married and having their first child. So the the effects of extended adolescence on culture, families, and individuals are really too many to discuss here, but collectively they have been devastating. This this trend is something that's endemic to us. It, it it can become that way, which means it's so it's so natural to the culture that we just accept it as the way it is. I was describing how my gestation period I was kicking and screaming going into adulthood, but it was shorter because of the culture I was in primarily. The culture today, uh, if we just accept it as the way it is, we accept the damage that it's doing to to ourselves, to our families, to the culture, the very, very fabric of it. And so since we can't see the problem when things are endemic to us, there's such a part of us we can't see them, then we just, we just let it happen. We've got to guard against that. The tide of culture is a very, very powerful thing. It, it's, it's taking us, like it's taking us out to sea sometimes, and we're lost in its effects on our lives. Right now, there's this strong pull toward delayed maturity. That's right. You can put it off. Have fun now. You know, a, a sense of entitlement is characteristic of our culture. And this kind of selfish approach to life does a great deal of damage to relationships and efforts. And so we've got to guard against it. We've got to watch out. You know, in, in our day, it's like we want good times. Let's have a party. Let's just let loose a party. If I could just just. Every once in a while, if I could just let go, let loose, I'd have the time of my life. Then, okay, I can go back and do my responsibilities. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's not true, by the way. Hey, you can bring sexual diseases back. You, you, you come back with guilt, the guilt of unfaithfulness to a partner, maybe, to a, a, to a wife or a husband, and that stays with you and causes a spiritual, emotional rift with your husband or wife. That is, that is out to lunch, that thought. A one-time indulgence in Las Vegas or anywhere can feed an appetite that begins to grow and it becomes an addiction. 
So this, this entitlement, this selfish approach to if I could just let loose and party, I'd have a great time. And then I could go back to life. It's, it's, it's damaging. Value of the Bible is that it gives commands that <clears throat> grow us out of the damaging effects of culture. If, if we'll just, Scripture itself says, if we'll just do what it says, we will grow wise. And that's what happens. If we learn God's word and we start living it out, start doing it, these things float to the surface and we can identify what's going on in culture, what's going on in our own minds and lives that are, that, that's causing damage, and then we grow out of it. We become wise as we do what the Bible says and learn to identify the parts of the culture that are hurting us. This, this delayed maturity is in direct contrast to the Scripture. In the Bible, we're commanded to think and act like adults. 1 Corinthians 14:20, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. I'm 54. I'm still tempted to think like a kid. You know, I mean, I still have to choose that. I don't feel like I, I you know, I, I don't feel, okay, I feel 54. <laughs> but I'm a legend in my own mind in some ways, when, especially when I get out to try to surf, you know. But, you know, I, I have to choose this. We have to choose this. We have to reject immature thoughts and focus on the right things. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. A recurring thought that we have, sometimes, at least I've had it, if I were just a kid again, those were the days. Life was so simple when I was a kid, you know. Mom and dad took care of everything. Adult-sized responsibilities, problems, and challenges weigh heavy, and we want to go back to our youth when times were simple. Watch out. Watch out for that kind of thinking. Because nostalgia will destroy today and derail your future. You have to guard against that. There's no going back. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. Another way that's put is, we, we ask sometimes, Why were the old days so much better than these? Don't ask such questions. I have a friend, we, we grew up in church together, and so we've known each other since nursery in church. Every time we get together, I know in that conversation at some point he's going to say, Ah, oh, wasn't it great when we were kids? I'd just like to be a kid again. And I have to, I have to stop myself. Don't ask such questions. Don't, don't go there. Because you can't go back. This is the way it is. Life starts very simple. Starts out simple and grows more complex and more complex. Over time, it gets more and more complex. And then it gets real simple again. Right before you die. It does get simple. It's just you're your breathing and eating. But this is the way life flows. And God wants us to enjoy today the stage of life we're in right now. Next month is 21st, 25th anniversary of Church in the Valley, and I was thinking about this pattern of life. And, you know, it was pretty simple in the early days. Cindy and I and my son Thad, we were here. We landed in August of 87, and... It was really easy. If we wanted to have a meeting with the congregation, we just went to the living room. It was awesome. It was very easy. And then after about a month, you know, we had two other couples who signed on, and they decided they would help us make this thing go. 
It was also easy. Just a couple phone calls. Hey, bring the kids over. Let's get together. As we set out to launch the campus in Alhambra, it's a lot more complex. (laughs) There's a lot to think through. Because now we have 300 plus people to consider and try to figure out how we're going to pull this off. Way more complex. Well, when things are healthy, when, when things grow, that's the way it flows. Life gets more complex, not less. And so I want to encourage you out of Scripture, enjoy the stage of life you're in right now. God has a purpose in it for you. And he will meet you in it and bring just the joy that he he wants you to experience. He will give you joy as you set out to follow him in it. If you try to keep life to, if you try to keep it from flowing by, you try to stop it in a certain stage or go back to a certain stage, it spoils. Like manna. You know, God gave the Israelites manna when they're wandering in the wilderness. And they get up and this manna would be on the ground. They'd eat it. They, They had to eat what was there for the day and just leave it. If they tried to save it, it's spoiled. That was God's intent. And that's how it is with these stages of life. God, every one of them, God has a purpose in. And he wants you to enjoy it and grow through it. So try, do whatever it takes to shift your mind away from going back. God has a purpose in these things. Uh, let's listen to uh, Dr. Lewis as he talks about how, what do we do? So what? So since this is going on, what are some things we can do to counter the effects of the, this trend of delayed maturity? So Nathan's going to tell us. First of all, maturity is defined by two major character qualities. One is taking responsibility for one's own life. That means being financially independent making your own decisions and accepting the consequences for those decisions, uh, being able to delay gratification and so forth. And the second characteristic is basically contributing to the welfare of others, like getting, getting past oneself, being able to team up with others to accomplish goals, investing in people to help them accomplish goals that benefit them, uh, it's what we understand as as love. And the Bible highly values these two qualities. So kid, kids need to learn and they are capable of learning these things. And the sooner they learn them, the sooner they start learning them, the better. The problem is that those things are unnatural. So they have to be taught. Kids are not going to learn those things on their own. So they really have to be taught. What is natural is demanding that others do for us what we're capable of doing for ourselves. That is irresponsible dependency. And it's natural to care about ourselves and what we want more than others. That, that is to be selfish. These things are, are what are natural. So immaturity is what is natural. And people will stay immature for as long as we... Well, kids will as long as we allow them to, as long as we do things for them, as long as we allow them to get their way, uh, they are more than happy to do that. If you're parents, you need to make it your goal to raise your child to be an adult. I, I think one of the things that, that that requires is rejecting the myth 
that adolescence is inevitable. Uh, It means realizing that your child really is capable of doing adult things even at an early age. Work toward your child no longer needing you, which really is your goal is to work yourself out of a job. And treat your adult child like an adult. If you do, they're more likely to act that way. Teach the character qualities of personal responsibility and loving others early and throughout a child's life. If you're a young adult, not yet independent, aspire to maturity, working towards becoming more responsible and more loving. Put away childish things, even if society permits them. If you don't, then you won't view yourself as an adult, and others will not view you as an adult. Actually, the more you act like an adult, the more you will be treated like one by parents and by others. Nathan pointed out that genuine love for others is a mark of real maturity. Look at the verse that follows the one I I read earlier. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Mature person shows genuine love and they're responsible. Genuine love looks out for the interests of others and sacrifices for their good. We need to do this. We need to train our kids to do it. We need to set the example for them and help them grow past themselves to do that as those of us who are parents. Being a loving person puts you in position to be happy. You still have to choose happiness. It's not, you know, you still have to choose it, but... If, if we have a pattern of getting outside of ourselves, sacrificing out of love for the people around us, doing, doing what's in their interest, then what happens is it opens up the flow of God's blessing in our lives. And we can choose to be happy in that sense. We, we need to show this kind of love to honor God for our own good, and we need to help our kids learn to show this kind of love. We want to teach our kids a love like this because... When they choose to get outside themselves and continually look to the interests of others around, taking care of their own responsibilities and interests, but looking to the interests of others as they do that, when they, when they open up and focus out there, the, the, the possibility of a joy-filled life opens up to them. Let's look at how to keep growing to maturity. First of all, use the right measure. I'm going to walk through this fairly quickly as we wrap up today. But I just want to look at a passage in Scripture that talks about how we grow up to maturity in the context of of church life. First of all, use the right measure. Um, Ephesians 4, 13, 14 says, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Backdrop of this passage, this, this, this statement I just read, this part of scripture is in a context of what's the church all about? What, what happens there? In our culture, the church is sort of put on the shelf. It's irrelevant. It doesn't really matter. You might take it down every once in a while if you need to get married or if, if somebody dies close to you. Or you might need it occasionally if you're hurting. But 
in the context of this passage, we're going to find out how important the church is to growing up to maturity. We grow to maturity, first of all, by using the right measuring stick, not the culture, not horizontal, but by measuring vertically to Jesus Christ. How do we measure up to him? And when you measure yourself up to him and his character, you're going to fall short. But he gives the grace to accept, to approve, to affirm. If you'll turn to him and accept what he's done to give pardon and forgiveness. He, he, we fall short, but the grace of God is available to assure us and to strengthen us to keep moving. So we've got to use the right measure. We've got to start there. Secondly, stay connected to the church body. Ephesians 4.15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. The assumption in this passage, you're connected to a body of Christ. And in, in America, that's not always the case. In, in that first century world, they were already connected because they were hanging on to each other for dear life. They were persecuted for their faith in Christ. They were hanging on. It, it was assumed that they were connected. In our day, to to get connected and stay connected, I have to take initiative and I have to be very intentional to connect to the, the other believers in church life and in, in the, the church. I just I, I have to do that. Um, I get connected by choosing to participate, by showing love and being friendly to accept people serving me and to serve others. I need to be served and to serve others as well. And at the right time. I'm going to need to open up and let others know what's going on in me so that I, I can be helped. And as we, as we grow in these relationships, as we stay connected, maturity begins to develop. In church life, I'm going to grow to maturity as I make the effort to show genuine love and get saturated with the truth. As I keep choosing genuine love, muscles grow. I have to keep choosing it over and over again or I deflate you know it's like pumping iron you get pumped up but you got to keep doing it or you deflate and a mature person keeps showing that kind of love they keep looking around how can I show kindness how can I help how can I serve what can I do and as you do that even when you don't feel like it you grow you grow to maturity and then we need to saturate ourselves with the church that with the truth that phrase speaking the truth in love really means thinking it Thinking the truth, living the truth, acting out on the truth, and speaking the truth. It's, you're saturated with the truth. And one way it helps to be involved in church life and to actually get, get past yourself as you're developing enough trust to open up, one way it really helps is as you share your thoughts when you're isolated, your thoughts make so much sense to yourself. <laughs> I don't know, you know, some of my thoughts... I've had, they made perfect sense until they came out of my mouth in a group of people that really understood the truth and really cared about me. And as I hear myself saying, I'm like, that is so childish. What was I thinking? So a lot of times this happens over, this is how it works. You, you get connected and you begin to open up. And as you, as people get to know you, you get to know them. You're drawn toward maturity in, in the right context. So as a thought, they can hide in the darkness of our minds, but they can live with dignity there. 
But when they come out, boy, they seem so absurd sometimes. Mine do. And it just really helps to open up and be connected to people who can encourage you. Finally, bear your share of responsibility. 416 says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This, this matches up. This lines up with Nathan's uh, summary of what it means to be an adult. You're responsible. You're, you show love. You're loving. And you're a responsible contributor to what's going on around you. This is a great opportunity in church life to do this. The assumption is you're connected to church and you're contributing to it. Nathan mentioned this, being a responsible contributor, showing love. Most of the people in our culture write church off. But it's a tremendous opportunity. This is what God intends for church life because we're fragmented in our society. We live all over the place. We don't have the small Mayberry kind of town anymore that... that really didn't exist, by the way. That was fake. That was a TV show. <laughs> but we don't have a small town where everybody knows your name and all that. Church life can be that. As you plug in, you can get to know people. There's a community that you're walking through life with. And there's a tremendous amount of help as you yourself grow into becoming a responsible contributor in church life. You're helping pull toward the mission. You're serving. You, you, you can't do this at work. Your kids aren't there. If you're a parent, you can't set that kind of example at work. And so this is a tremendous opportunity for families as parents pull together and show their kids how to love, how to serve, how, how to be a responsible contributor or something, how to take your place and, and do the work that God wants you to do and contribute to the over. What an example for your kids. This is a tremendous thing. So I want to encourage you as we wrap up, set the example for your kids if you're a parent and lead them to become a contributor. Try to find the ceiling for what they can do rather than just keeping them at a lower level. Sometimes we lock our kids in at a certain age and we don't expect much out of them. But I would encourage you to find the ceiling. They can do more than you think they can do. I read a book called Do Hard Things by two twins. They're teenage twins the Harris twins, I can't remember their first names, but they did some incredible things at a very early age. And if you're a parent, your kids can do way more than you think they can. I would, I would try to find the ceiling of what they can accomplish in conversations, in, in tasks and things that are going on, and develop them. Set it as a goal to, to grow up adults. And if you're an adult or a young adult, set it as a goal to be an adult. I'm working on it. I'm 54. I'm, I'm trying to be adult in my thinking and in my actions, and I measure up against Jesus Christ. And then I learn how to be a real man, a real adult, a real person that, that pleases God. So that's the encouragement for today. I'd like to wrap up the message as the band comes up uh, by asking you to think through your next steps. If you would, please pull out the connection card out of the program and finish completing any information that you haven't had a chance to or, or mark one of these steps that I'm suggesting. Because it says, as you hear the word of God and you take steps to do it, um, understanding opens up, wisdom grows. So here are the suggestions. My next step is to memorize 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. That could be a first step if you'd like to take it. Next one, take this, this step to keep growing to maturity and 
as you think back over the, the message, there may be something that comes to mind that you want to you apply. You want to take that step. This is it. I'm going to take this step. Just write out the step that you want to take. Another step could be identify ways that I'm slowing the growth of my kids to maturity. Am I holding them down? Am I set the ceiling too low in what I'm expecting them to do? Or am I setting the ceiling too low in how I talk with them, how the the conversations go? Is there any way that I'm slowing their growth? Raise the ceiling. It's going to be a mess and might be chaotic for a while, but they can learn to do way more than you think they can. Um, Attend the final message of this series. Next week, we're wrapping up with The Dark Knight Rises. We're going to look at, next week, we're going to look at... um, how sacrifice and redemption mixes together, and then some very practical ways to step out and show the kind of love we talked about today that we want to love. If you're a first-time guest with us today, really glad you're here. We have a gift for you. As Alex mentioned earlier, there's a book and there's some movie tickets. Book, What on Earth Am I Here For? It's on the table to the left, a little taller table to the left of the doors as you walk out. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in Scripture. It really does set us free. It sets us free from all kinds of things. One of those is the the fabric of our culture that's holding us back. So, God, I pray, as you've spoken to us this morning, that you would give us the, the power to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts to take, the grace and the power to do that. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.